Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. If you're listening for the first time, this is a podcast about business and innovating, overcoming and prospering. I'm your host, Ben Campbell, and today our guest is Phil, who runs a great business here in Adelaide. If you're in business or thinking about going into business, you have to listen to this episode. There's something in here for everyone. We cover topics like staying absolutely true to your vision, the importance of doing what you love, the most cost-effective thing you can do to differentiate yourself from your competitors, and we also talk about some really tough times that business owners can go through. Just a word of warning though, there is a part of our conversation where suicide is referenced, and if that's a trigger for you, then skip from around about the 24-minute mark to the 26-minute mark. If you need help regarding suicide or mental health, then please contact Beyond Blue via phone 24-7 on 1-300-22-46-36 or visit beyondblue.org.au or you can call Lifeline on 1-3-1-1-4 or visit lifeline.org.au. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Phil. Hi, Ben. How are you going? Good, mate. How Good. are you? Yeah, great. Fantastic. We've finally been able to get together. It took a... <laughs> I think it was a month. It could have been more. I think it was. I reckon we first started talking about this concept back in November. Yeah, October, November. October, right? October, November. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. And... Uh, oh, I think it's a great concept. And here, yeah. and here we are. I know. At last. Yeah. Which is looking very professional too, I might say. You are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Not me yet then, at this end of the day. So for those that don't know you, who is Phil from Caparezzo? What's your elevator pitch? Uh, well, uh, I'm just a little Italian boy <laughs> that grew up in, in Australia with Italian parents and had a, uh, had a passion for uh, all things Italian, um, which led me to open, open up the uh, little cafe in James Place called Caparezzo, which in turn led to our mobile coffee carts under the same brand, obviously. Um, yeah, and I just try and be true to what I grew up with and my roots, remembering that I'm Australian and just doing it with an Italian twist, I guess. Yeah. So I want to come back to Caparezza in a minute because yep. I know a little bit of the story. I myself am Italian. Well, not really, but... Well, you've I, had I, enough I coffee. Be. I think you're Italian I, by I now. Had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wannabe yeah. Italian. I drive an hour from Romeo. Oh, yeah. Well, One of those. <laughs> does anyway uh, so but, so I want to come back to that story but this isn't your first rodeo is it you've been business owner before yeah I well actually out of school I actually was a mechanic by trade yep um, I always had the in, in, interesting cars but I got probably led to the trade itself because I saw a job for um, a mechanic working on Ferraris and Maseratis and you know that Italian element sort of hooked me um, always been a big fan of Ferraris still am Although, they're not as robust as I thought they were. Um, and don't even get me started on Alphas, sorry. I have to edit yeah, that can... out, but anyway. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, no, no, but, you know, that the Italian style and, you know, um, the way they build things, um, and they, they tend to, I don't know, it's almost like they build a soul into their products. It, it sounds odd. You know, Germans build great cars, but they just they haven't got that, that emotion that goes with it, so which is a really hard. It's it's almost impossible. I think it's almost it's, impossible yeah. to, to describe to somebody yeah. who hasn't had the experience yeah. what that actually means. And I'm saying my yeah. last car before this one was a German car. It was a lovely yeah. car. It was fantastic. But the, look, I, I worked on Ferraris, Alphas, uh, everything Italian, and I loved the feeling that you you got when you drove them. Um, but I actually own a BMW now. Um, because it works, and I know that I will have no issues. Where, you know, Italian products are like Italians are temperamental, but they'll give you so much joy, mm. you know. And I think that's what I got from being a child in an Italian family. You know, our household was always very temperamental, fighting and loud voices <laughs> and noises, and but the amount of fun I had growing up in that household. And, you know, surrounded by cousins dropping in. There's no, there was never an announcement. I'm, to this day, I'm sure everybody had a key to our house. Mm. Um, but I think you have to grow up. You have to grow up in that environment to understand what it means. 
And look, I, I think maybe a bit of a, I don't know, you probably almost say it's in your DNA because, you know, culture is built up over thousands of years. It's not a, mm. you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So I guess in, you know, being a mechanic on those cars, I loved it and all, but I knew that was, you know, I needed a bit more than that. Um, I wanted to play soccer in Italy. Okay. I I was quite good in Australia, and I thought I'd make make a have a cracker uh, overseas. Uh, but I got injured um, before I went, so that quickly went by the wayside. Mm. Um, but what I did do is still I still went to Italy and experienced um, their culture, but not just in the big cities. I stayed with family in the little cities and. That's where you can really feel what it meant to be, to have that um, connection with a product, with a with an image. Um, that sounds a little bit shallow, but it it's hard to explain exactly what you feel. You know, when you're standing at a bar in in Italy and having a coffee, and you're rubbing shoulders with every single person that comes in. There's no personal space is not a thing over there. Australia, we've got you know, we've got personal space here over there. You do touch each other. You rub up against each other. It, it, it's, it, it feels like, I don't know, you just you feel happy. It makes you feel good. And, and I guess that's what I brought back with me. Um, and when I got back, I uh, realised mechanics wasn't for me anymore. So I quit. And I actually drove trucks for three years after that. That was more just a... I think I needed three years to mature and um, build my ideas in my head of, you know, what I, how I wanted to present my idea. I knew coffee was my thing. As soon as I left Italy, I knew that was what I wanted to do here. I wanted to replicate um, that experience in Australia. And I assume you didn't see that experience in other cafes and coffee shops. In Adelaide, no. Mm. Uh, I, not not before I went away. When I came back, I did see it at one of the little coffee bars in town, um, and that was actually on one of my truck runs. Okay. And I met an older gentleman in one of the businesses that um, is in town. Um, he's actually, I think, he's since passed away. But he was the way he interacted with his customers. It set the atmosphere for what you were going to receive next. The coffee could have been good or bad, and I, that bar wasn't the best. Um, and my coffees weren't always spot on, but I just loved going there. I loved the banter. I loved what he he made you connect. He made you connect with him straight away. And I thought, you know, what, that's that. I'm going to keep that in my head. I'm going to remember that. So when I did first start, um, we bought a business. Sorry, after that, I bought a business in uh, Marion Shopping Centre. Big learning curve. Massive, massive. So this is your first gig in yeah. your... Well, the run. truck was my own business, okay. but in, in the actual industry, yeah. Yep. I had been doing coffee at you know, home, studying coffee and what it's all about. And um, I soon realised when I was studying, researching coffee, it was more... It wasn't so much the product that it, I was interested in. Like, it's important, but it was more the, the culture that went behind it with the Italian scene. You know, because everybody does coffee all over the world, but the way the Italians did it, just oh, you, you can't, I can't explain it. It's you have to feel it. You have to actually feel that that thing that you feel when you're drinking it and chatting, and you can hear noise in the background. And you know, the morning rush is just something something else. Um, so when I bought our first business in uh, Marion Shopping Centre. I sort of walked into, uh, well, we bought two businesses, so I sort of walked into the worst decision ever made and the best decision ever made. I like it. It, It's hard. Well, the the thing is, I so when we bought the two businesses, we bought one in a food court and we bought uh, the little kiosk. We bought them all from the same guy. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, we didn't get the, you know, we didn't get told the full truth about, one of the businesses, and uh, so we struggled to understand why one wasn't making money. At the same time, the uh, kiosk that we bought, the little coffee bar, I knew that wasn't making money. So that, but I I bought that cheap, and so I had to quickly 
adapt and shift my thinking and look at it as a whole and say, well, all right, so food shop's not making money. Um, and I don't know if I could turn this one around because I, I still believe now to this day that Italian food doesn't belong in a food court. It doesn't work. It's not, it's not quick and easy and, you know, it, it, you know, to make a sauce takes a long time. And so I, I said, you know what, I'm going to maintain that shop, but I've got to turn this little kiosk around really quickly. Um, so I just applied all the knowledge that I had gained over travel and, you know, from my family and, um, and people responded to it and it was good because Marion's actually a hard gig. You get a, there's quite a diverse demographic of people in that region of Adelaide. Um, you know, you've got suburbs with a lot of money and then you've got suburbs with, with people you can see that they're struggling to make a day-to-day, uh, living, um, so sort of, yeah, I had to learn to not, um, what's the word what I can use, not um, settle on my idea. I had to go with my full idea thinking that one of these sides of the demographic might not like it. Um, I couldn't bastardise it to, to fit. I needed to make that product that true, you know. So you couldn't sort of generally try and... Please, no. most. You, you can't, I think with what I wanted to achieve, I, I couldn't. There was no. It wouldn't have worked because then I would have just been another, just another, me too. another coffee bar, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, unfortunately, in Adelaide, um, and I think it's changing now. But I think in Adelaide, up until now, especially with Italian stuff, food and restaurants, they've always tried to adapt it to Australians. Um, they may have had to do that. I'm not sure. I wasn't around. Yeah. You know, I wasn't running shops 20, 30 years ago. But, you know, the cuisine that I saw in, you know, so-called Italian restaurants, I'd look on a menu and think, that's, that's not Italian. I've never yeah. seen that, never heard of it, you know. Um, and I think it was time that for me to say, you know what, no, I've got to stick with this idea in my head and, and teach, um, teach Aussies about it. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying just, you know, Aussie, Anglo-Saxons. I'm talking about even people from Italian generations down, you know, because, you know, after, generation after generation, you lose touch with the original culture. Well, um, unless you've actually been there, unless you've got that experience at home. Yeah. Or, or unless you've actually been to Italy and experienced it. it it's your, impossible. Your version of what Italy is and yeah. its cuisine and its culture is what we yeah. see and experience here locally. Oh, definitely. It's always going to become distorted with every, gen- every generation. Mm. With me, of what? The, for, the good fortune of being a first generation. So I was very connected to it. You know, up until I was five years old, I didn't speak English. I didn't even speak Italian. I spoke a dialect. Yep. So it's even more removed. <laughs> um, but, and then the first school I went to, there were two Italians in the whole school. And that was sort of my first introduction to, you know, Australia. Yep. Because up until then, I had been with my grandparents, my parents, Cousins, uncles, aunties. I didn't have a lot of connection. Um, so, so just back on the purchase of the business. Yeah. So you said that you, know, you made the worst decision and yeah. the best decision. Yeah. If you'd had your time over again, what would you, what would you do differently? Because you said that you'd bought a business that um, wasn't performing yeah. in reality compared to perhaps you know what you might have seen in yeah you know, in the financials reports etc that you might have had Definitely. when you purchased the business. So. I guess I think uh, what I learnt in that in that sort of um, moment of purchasing that business is that your gut feeling is so important. So my first instinct when I first saw the business for sale was to buy just a kiosk. I just wanted that because yep. I knew what I could do with it. Um, the guy already had an offer on it, and instead of me sort of upping the offer. I see mum and dad wanted to get out of what they were doing at the time yeah. as well. So we sort of we made a, a choice to purchase both both businesses. I'd run one, they'd run the other. But in my gut, the whole time I was thinking that, the whole time I was going through the through the process, I just I knew I just knew something. Wasn't I knew right. something. I knew that the food court was going to be no good for me, and I disregarded it. Um, you know, and up until then. I had never really had to make a big decision like that. 
So you disregarded it because you were so focused on the other part? Um, I think maybe a bit naive mm. in business. Um, every other decision I had made up until then had been the right decision with business, yep. like buying trucks and yep. the right career choice. So until you make a really bad one, or even a, uh, you know, a small uh, mistake that costs you a bit of money or time or whatever, you don't know, you know, but... Um, did, so did you consult anybody prior to the purchase? Did you get yeah, yeah. advisors, I mean, accountants? Of course, to do... yeah, definitely. We've got all our Form 2s and, yeah. you know, all your financials and all that. Um, that's probably another thing I learned when purchasing a business. Form 2s are very definitely a, a guide only. They, are, they can be manipulated. They can be chopped and changed and things can be left out. Things. Did you have anybody actually do a proper audit? Yeah, yeah. so I had, I had my accountant. Yeah. But the thing is, accountants, they know their industry. Yeah. They don't necessarily know about hospitality. Or they, they're basically black and white numbers. Um, they look at it and go, yep, all right, that's his expenses, that's what he's bringing in, that's fine. Unfortunately, my when I looked at them, you know, you trust the accountant, you trust the advisors. Um and you trust your sort of your own schooling because you look at it and think, yeah, I'm, I think I'm smart enough to work this out. And really, by rights, the Form 2 was um, a good depiction and the business was profitable. Unfortunately, what we quickly found out, you know, after two months of trade was that um, although the money coming in was right, the money going out wasn't. Um, a little time after that, probably another three or four months, we started getting calls from debt collectors and stuff like that. So so all the, the declaration of all the expenses wasn't yeah. accurate? so yeah, um, right. basically we had, he had companies chasing him. I'm not sure if you can use this or not, but um, yeah, so we, on many occasions, I had to go back to my conveyancer that, you know, assisted us through the purchase of the business and um, we had to prove what the date that we purchased the business to companies over and over again. Um, that must have been, a, I mean, you're now two or three months into owning a business. You're yeah. probably still under the pump in terms of learning everything and then you get hit with yeah, that. Yeah, that's the thing. That must know? have been hard. And it actually stunts your growth a little bit because yeah, it scares it you to make other decisions because all of a sudden you realise, well, hang on, I, didn't, I don't have as much money as I thought to develop and market mm. and um, put in new products and product test. Um so all of a sudden, you sort of um, clench up and stop spending, mm -hmm. stop doing this, stop doing that. And then uh, just the, with hospitality, it's, you know, your visual, people can see you and all of a sudden your demeanor changes with clients as well. So you've got to learn very quickly um, how to hide that. Um, I know I say this to people, I think I developed a um, split personality when I started in hospitality because you actually literally have to shift personalities from your personal life to your your uh, game face because mm. it doesn't matter what happened at home or financially. Or you, people uh, do not want to come in and see you miserable. They're already miserable. That's why they're coming to get a coffee, you know. So They want to feel better about yeah, themselves. Yeah, you know, so – and I, I really I quickly connected that with um, making money because, you know – if you go to into a bar every day and the guy's just miserable, you're not going to go there. Eventually you're going to go, oh, I can't just, uh, I don't want to tolerate that guy's demeanor today. So, um, but yeah, so that was my, that was the biggest problem there with that, that business. Mm. I'm lucky that we were able to turn the other one around and, uh, but you know, we were there five years and I literally made no money. We were living off savings and all that because all the money, so the, uh, the little kiosk was booming, it was taking off, but it was carrying the other one. Yeah. And um, we dropped, you know, we dropped a lot of money on the sale when we sold that food court. We actually at one stage thought we weren't going to be able to sell it. And um, so we were ready to write it off. And it actually would have cost us uh, whatever amount, 30 grand to actually defit the shop as well because you've got to return. On top of the loss. On top of the loss, yeah. Paid. You know, so... Um, and, you know, that loss would have been over 200 grand, you know. And for a – how old was I then? That was – I was about 29. For a 29-year-old, they had – you know. No, you know, we weren't 
I grew up in a house where we always ate. You didn't get a lot, but um, we didn't have a lot of money. But I was always comfortable. So if, to lose that amount of money, and in fact, actually, that's probably why it hurt more because I knew throughout our life we always had to watch what we were spending and you know, we didn't buy a lot of stuff. So to lose that amount of money in one sort of swoop, that really hurt. Um, How did that not scare you into doing nothing? Yeah. You know, I, I no, the future business. Uh, why, why did you not just at that point go, you know what, I'm just going to go and get a safe, stable job with somebody, uh, pay, my, uh, pay my debt off and, uh, and uh, you know sail what? into the sunset that way? I think my upbringing, I, I'm going to say, because, you know, like going bankrupt, that was not an option for me. Because we had, it's not like we bought those businesses with cash. We needed to get a loan. Yep. And then... We, you know, me and my wife and I owned the house and my mum owned the house. So we had those businesses tied up in, you know, the equity was tied up in the businesses. So if they failed, that meant we would lose something. You know, we'd lose our home or we'd have to sell or, you know, and we, I had, by that stage, I had already realised I was going to lose enough as it was. And um, so you just... Head down, bum up, keep pushing, um, refocus your drive, you know, and sort of like, not that I was an angry young man, but I had a lot of, um, uh, what do you say, what would you call it, testosterone running through my veins, being, you know, sporting and all that. So for me, losing, I hated it. it like, I don't usually use that word, but I absolutely hate losing. Um you know, and so for me, I wasn't going to let that bury me in a hole, you know, because I knew that along with financial difficulties, you know, you lose a home, you have to explain that to your wife, you've just married, you know, that can break up a marriage, it can, you know, and then that's got all sorts of ramifications. Um, it can change your relationship with your business partners, which were my parents at the yeah. time. Um, and I refused. I I said, no, it's an option. So I ended up working insane hours, like I'm talking insane. I would get three hours a night sleep with a newborn as well. Um, well, most people with a newborn only get that anyway. Yeah, so. I know, I know. <laughs> so that's I know. Not a big deal. But it's just, you know, when you can go to bed, even if it's only for three hours with a clear head, mm. it's different going to sleep with a thousand things running through your mind. And the only reason you'd fall asleep is because you just your brain would just stop, yeah. uh, and then as soon as you wake up, you pick them right up. So, um, I guess I think you, if you go through that sort of thing, you go slightly insane. Um, and I I think that's probably a good term for it because you don't you're actually in an altered state of mind. You don't you don't think about the small things. You just look at the big picture and go, all right, just drive towards that. You know, and I, I even to this day, and we're talking, you know. We sold that. We got rid of that situation probably six years ago. To this day, I still can't remember time frames. I can't remember months of my life being there. You know, it was the worst. It was honestly, it was the worst period of my life. I, you know, I've always been a loyal family boy, and I've never done anything. I've never cheated anyone or anything. But when you're desperate, you start thinking about stuff like. You know, you know, I remember one day it was raining heavily and Marion was like a sieve, that place, it would leak everywhere. And I remember looking at a puddle on the ground thinking, if I just slipped over here, I'd get a payout for that and I'd be all right. <laughs> and, no, but, you know, it was, and I was serious, and it was a serious thought, you know, it actually, and then obviously your, you know, your upbringing kicks in going, no, you can't do that, no, that's not, that's not right. Um that sheer desperation. It is. It's desperate. For every, yeah. You know, every, your mind's attuned to every yeah. possibility. You know, I know there's levels of desperation where, you know, in the world where people can't eat. And that's, but you, you, when you're in that sort of mindset, you only think about your situation and how you're going to dig yourself out of it. And it got, you know, if we're being honest, I, I got to a stage where I knew I had set up a life insurance policy years before and it was quite substantial. And I knew that if I died, 
that money would pay out the businesses, it would get rid of all my debt, and it would look after my kids till they're 21. So, and I still struggle to say, but I, I contemplated suicide, and that's what that's what business does. Wow. Honestly, I and it, not just once. I thought about it for a long time about thinking, you know, if I died, that money would it would save my family. You know what I mean? I felt like I had put them in that that hole because my mum and dad you know they're not stupid but they followed their son into business thinking that he had done the all the checks and in reality I had but you know you blame yourself for that yeah um yeah so and I've actually only told a couple of people that so well now it's on a podcast so just a couple of people plus me plus <laughs> the thousands of listeners that we're going to have for this podcast no but honestly you know if, if people are going to get into business they need to know this stuff I think it's really important I didn't know I didn't know this. You could feel like that. Yeah. I'd never felt like that in my life. Felt like I was going to live forever. Um, and you and you're not the only one. Yeah, it was. Like but you know, when you don't know that, no, of course, nobody tells you that. And I think that's probably why I started telling people that I thought it was relevant to. You know, other people that have come to me and said, "I'm going to start a cafe or a business," and I'll tell them that story, not to scare them, just to just to sort of shock them a bit to make sure they make the right decisions. And to provide some balance in the conversation. Oh, definitely. It's all you know, yeah. wonderful. You know, and and make think, some money and be with customers yeah. and do a great job and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. But you have to balance that with some reality. And, and that's well. right because I think in reality, the image of a cafe owner is really romantic and pretty, but the reality of it is it's not – like you take a lot of baggage with you every every night because – you know, you hear some great stories from people, but then you get people that come in and they're pretty down. And I didn't realise that um, if you're empathetic, you take that with you, and you find yourself thinking about what people told you at like 10:30 at night, just out of the blue. You go, oh man, that guy was really—he was really struggling today. I hope he's all right tomorrow. The stranger, you know, or not a stranger, but someone that you've known for a month, you know. Uh, so that was um, that was another aspect of business, owning a business that was in uh, you know sort of in the public eye, that I didn't realise was going to happen either. Wow. Yeah, um, and you sometimes you just come to work and you're actually really drained, and you think, well, I didn't, didn't really work hard yesterday. Then you realise you've been talking, you'd had some quite deep conversations with people, and it often happens on the slow days. Because that's when you can talk to people longer. That's when they sort of open up, and um, and I think uh, taking that home with a wife that didn't understand that, and I didn't expect her to, um, was hard. Because you know our, you know, especially in our situation, our children, oh, our first child, for instance, wasn't wasn't a great sleeper. She didn't eat very well, and so my wife was struggling with that at home as it was. Um, her, mom, her mother had passed a couple of years before. So it was hard not to, you had to sort of bundle that up and keep it inside, mm. not to, you know, project that onto her. Um, and then it's got to go somewhere. Sometimes it comes out in anger. Sometimes you actually can repress it and it comes out like a month later. At some point in the yeah. future. You know. Um, and that's and when I... See you. I mean, some people take it out in physical exercise and mm. other things. We used to be playing soccer yeah. or anything like that. That's actually what I was just about to say. So when we first started our business, I stopped playing soccer, um, not realising that that was my outlet. And you know, I used to play guitar and stuff, and I stopped all that because the hours I was working just it wasn't you know it wasn't doable. Um, when I sort of once I sort of learnt the ropes and learnt how to manage my uh, time and effort I realized that I needed to play soccer again and I didn't I actually don't think I said it in my head I don't think I said I need to play soccer I think I just felt it um so I started playing indoor soccer and that first night I played indoor soccer we lost we got pumped that night but I felt amazing after I was so happy you know the other guys in the team What's wrong with you, man? You just got you just lost, we just lost <laughs> just like five, five nil. I said, you do not understand how good I feel. Mm. And um, it's then a big, it's a big thing, massive. I mean, I'm a 
cyclist. Yeah. And when I'm smashed at work and I'm, you know, work for two weeks and I haven't ridden yeah. my bike to or from work or whatever, my wife says, well, you just go for a bike ride. Yeah. <laughs> because and she, you know, she realises like I do yeah. that, you know, that's an important outlet to get rid of. And, Definitely. And you're right. I think you need something that you can do that doesn't allow you to do anything else at the time. So when I was playing soccer, I couldn't do anything. I, had to, I couldn't think about business. I had to think about the game. I, uh, yeah, you can't do any paperwork while you're doing it. So, and I think, you, you know, like you said, with cycling, you can maybe put some earphones in, but, you know, and that in itself is good as well, you know, music. And, and I realised that I needed to make a connection to music. Like well, a podcasts, of course. Podcasts. I listen to lots of podcasts. I realised. <laughs> uh, but it is but, a great, physical yeah. exercise is a great outlet for, yeah, you know, to, to get rid of that stress. And, you know, I think uh, it sort of struck home two months later or a month later, I can't recall exactly when, but I remember my wife just turned to me out of the blue, we were just sitting on the couch, and she said, you know, you are a lot less angry since you started playing soccer. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, And I felt lighter. And, you know, just you get physically fitter as well, so you just feel better. Hmm. Uh, And that's because with hospitality, the thing is you don't, as an owner, I realised, you don't get many breaks, and what happens is in those the short moments you do get to breathe, if you've got to eat something, it's usually something small and sweet and sugary because it's just quick. Not necessarily that you want that, um, but then that in itself becomes an addiction because that sugar gets you through the next two hours of a rush of coffee orders and um, and you, know, you eat a biscuit and you can eat half of it, put it down and keep eating it later, whereas a plate of pasta or a salad you got to sit down and eat that. You'd do it properly, you know. Yeah. Um, so that you know, Marion for me was the biggest learning curve I've ever been on in business. But I think the biggest part of it was my personal, um, hey, my my personality, I guess. My personal my inner, growth. Personal growth, yeah. My drive. I knew, I knew that I had it. And I, I remember talking to my accountant and, you know, we we're talking about, I said, look, can we maybe bring in a partner or something. And he said, Phil, is there's not many people that I've met that can grit their teeth and dig in their heels and dig themselves out, out of the hole that you dug yourself out of. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that just fold and mm-hmm. go bankrupt and then move on. For me, that was an option. He said, You're a, there's not, your breed is very um, uncommon. So do you look back on that period now? Are you glad you went through it or are you... No. no? I would change it in a second. Change it in a second. Because I think... Well, I change it in a second because the financial burden of losing that amount of money in my first business Mm. affected more than just me. It affected my mum and dad and... My wife and, you know, we could have paid our house off by now. And, you know, I'm not – and the thing, it sounds funny because I'm not actually a money-driven person. It's more I need to enjoy what I'm doing. That's why I got out of mechanics. And mm. But, it, you know, when other people are relying on you, you know, you'd change that heartache and, you know, we, me and my wife fought so many times. There was many times that I thought we were going to separate because of it. I'm glad we didn't. But – if I could reverse all those moments of anger and all that, I would. Mm. If I was single at the time... Different story? Yeah, if I was single and lived at home with my parents, I'd probably probably look at it differently. I'd probably say, you know, that 200 grand that I'd lost was actually an investment in myself. And I've only started thinking that lately Mm. because I think I look at, you know, I had my... I'm 38 this year, and I'm thinking I'm close to 40. Um, I think you just start thinking about things differently. You know, what's important, and, you know, in 60 years from now, I'm not going to think about that 200 grand anymore. But I will think about the the grief that my wife went through and my parents went through. Um, so you offloaded the business? Yeah. This well, is- we are lucky. We Our chef bought the... Um, Food court yep. for next to nothing, but it's still she still saves us a lot. Yeah. But we we're open with her. We said this is because yeah. you know, I 
I could never do to somebody what was done to me. It's like the lowest. Um, but the other business, that I built that from nothing to something. You know, when we took over, I was doing like three kilo, four kilos of coffee a week. We turned it into 35. Wow. It was doing like four and a half grand a week. By the time we left, we were doing 15,000 a week. And that's just coffee and cakes and sandwiches. So that wasn't like a restaurant. So what that taught me is that I, I had it in me to make something, to create something that people loved and that worked and that I could live off of, um, all whilst carrying the burden of the other business. And I didn't, you know, you don't realize how strong you are until later and you look back on it. Yeah. Um, so that sort of leads me on to my next venture. Current venture. Which, um, yeah, you know, when I think, when I think back now, I think, what the hell were you thinking? You know, I actually, it's an insane move to start a new business and invest, you know, I think back then it cost you know, between 100 and 150K to set up a business, bricks and mortar. Um, I think you, you, you would have to be crazy to do that, knowing that you had just dumped 200,000 on a business and you were still running your other little kiosk. So I was still running that because um, I realized that I needed cash flow for the new business. Um, but I think that was my way of continuing to dig out of the debt because I knew I had this debt. And even if I sold my little business, the little kiosk, it wouldn't cover the total debt of loss. But so it's also a different, it's a different beginning, isn't it? Because yeah. the first business you'd, bought from somebody yeah. and then had to turn that around and you were buying yeah. you know, all the problems, all the you know, issues, all the good stuff, bad stuff. You were buying that. Whereas in creating a new business... It's all you. It's all you. Yeah. It's all your ideas. And, and so you must have mm. had at that point a pretty strong belief in your own ability yeah. because you'd turned the previous uh, business. Look, I don't, I don't think I could have... I don't think I would have started a new business from scratch um, without having been through yeah. that. Because, yeah, you back yourself then. Like you said, you, you just know you can do it. Um, so, it really, the idea with Caparetta was to start a business, cheap, we're cheap, you know, set up, yeah. build a brand, sell it off within a three-year bracket. Um, the money from the sale, pay off your debt, go get a job. Never talk about hospitality ever again. <laughs> Don't even think about it. Um, so we started, that was pretty cool. And I, I, you know, the thing is when you can create something from scratch, you can actually replicate the image that you've got in your head to a T. I want to talk about this. Yeah. Because you told me a story ages ago. Mm. I think when I first, I think I first came to the cafe. I not you long, were one of the first actually, yeah. <laughs> not long after I'd come back from Italy with yeah. my wife. We were on our wedding anniversary, yeah. which we loved. We loved the coffee culture over there. We loved the fact that we walked into a, a cafe where no, no one spoke, spoke English, but we yeah. all stood at the bar and we drank our coffees and ate our croissant and, yeah. and our croissant, our, our little pastry. Yeah. And, uh, and we loved that piece. And, and then when I walked through one day, I went, oh, my gosh, this looks just like an Italian yeah. coffee bar. <laughs> and I walked in. Uh, you know, it, it actually makes me really happy to hear that because I think that's what I was trying to get. I knew that Adelaide was ready for it because, you know, now in our days people travel and most most of the time people go to Italy because it's in the centre of Europe. You've got to pass through it eventually. Um, yeah, well, the thing is, you know, that the design of that bar was all in my head. I didn't have a designer draw it up or anything. I drew that on a piece of scrap paper and I'm talking a piece of scrap paper. It was ripped on one side. Have you still got it? Uh, I probably have. I've probably got it jammed somewhere between a book. I think you need to frame it, pop it up. Yeah, yeah you know what? That's actually a really good idea. Um, and I gave that to my uh, my mate. He was a he was a shop fitter. He goes, "What the hell is this? Who drew?" This? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have even had a coffee stain on it. And um, I said, "That's my new shop. You got to build it." He goes, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "Look, don't worry. It'll work, man. It'll work." I said, "I got this." This, this image in my head because when I was in Italy I we stayed in Trieste for a little bit and um, there was a bar there and I fell in love with it 
And I, I didn't take any photos. I took so many photos on that trip except of that bar. Because I think when I went into that bar every day, it was, I just forgot about everything and I just enjoyed the experience for what it was. Um, so I had that image in my head and I had to somehow get that out of my head through that scrap piece of paper and get my shop fitted to build it. <laughs> and lucky we're friends because he, I think anyone else would have said, uh, you know, I'm not taking this on. Uh, I'm happy to say he's probably just as crazy as I am. Uh, so what I did, I started going on internet and all that. This coffee bar in Italy had no Facebook, <laughs> no Instagram, not even a photo from you know, a website, nothing. So I started looking around at images that were similar. And then I, I, we sort of brought all these images together. Uh, and believe it or not, the closest thing I could find to what was in my head was a place in New York. All right. Yeah, and, and that guy's story was that he, he was uh, half Greek, half Italian. Was it born in Italy, went to New York, and he, that's what he wanted to do. So it was actually uh, the intention was the same as what I wanted to do, mm. uh, even though our backgrounds are slightly different. So I found this place, I said, found these photos, said, all right, this is what we need to do. So then I started looking on eBay, Gumtree, for bits of this shop. It's like a jigsaw puzzle putting this shop together. Um, our glass shelves, I found those in Maitland, uh, was that two hours away? So I drove to Maitland with this old crappy van that I had, hoping to God it was going to make it, on these dirt roads, and I picked up these glass shelves. Then I realised I got to drive over those dirt roads with these glass <laughs> shelves, um, and I bought them from a florist. Um, and this guy ended up being a nutter, so I got stuck there for an hour talking to this guy as well. Um, but you know that that shop—that's what it. You know, every part of that shop brings me memories. Like, I'm two hours out of Adelaide picking up glass shells from this crazy guy telling me about this fuel system that he's created. And he shows me his car, and it's this thing bolted to the front of his car thing. And I'm a mechanic, don't forget. <laughs> I think this thing's going to blow up. I've got to get out of here. These are, so these are the experience that that shop gave me, those things. And the shop wasn't even open yet. Mm. Um, and marble tops, uh, you know, plastic chairs that we've got in there are see-through because I, when I originally had the idea, I didn't want any chairs in there. I didn't want stalls because I really wanted that Italian thing. Then I quickly realised that we're Australian and we like to sit down. So I thought, you know, I need to get something that gives the appearance that it's open. So I, I found these plastic chairs, Italian-made. Uh, the problem is with that, they're so expensive. <laughs> I paid so much money for these plastic chairs and I'm looking at think these are not worth over 200 bucks each. Um, but, but in terms of that image that you're looking for, I, you it, didn't pay that 200 I had to. and you yeah. picked a traditional stool or bar chair. Wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked. No, the, the, I couldn't make a compromise. And that's what I think I had to be doing uh, in my own head every, every day really was every time I had the urge to compromise something, I had to go back and say, no, can't do it. You can't do it unless I thought it was going to work for the benefit of the, the shop. Um, so anyway, we've got the shop built. I thought I had done a pretty good job. I thought the image in my head was pretty close. Um, you know, tweaked it a bit for our Australian market, but uh, I wasn't really sure if I nailed it. You know, business seemed to be growing. Um, we were still carrying, that shop was still getting carried by the old shop at Marion that was still running. Uh, Six months down the track, I reckon it was, this guy comes in, very flamboyant guy, amazing. I've since, you know, got to know him well. He jumps in and he, goes, he throws his arms in the air and he goes, oh, my God, in a really loud voice. The shop was full, mind you. Everybody's thinking, Who the, who's this guy? He's nuts. And I said, are you okay, buddy? <laughs> thinking, don't piss him off. <laughs> he goes, this shop is exactly like a, a cafe that I saw in there on my trip. And I said, I said, where was it? He goes, near, I think I said, was it near the train station? Or he might have said, I can't remember how, the, how it went now. Um, but we both realised that it was the, the bar that I had fell in love with and he had fallen in love with it. And he saw that cafe when he looked at mine. I thought, you know what, that's when I knew I nailed it. Oh, that's just You know, that was fantastic. just, 
And you know, it's funny. I, I didn't. I never said it out loud, but I think in my head, I threw it out to the universe, and I, I think I asked the question. I need to know if I've done this right. I need to know. I need a sign. What a great validation. And he and he just walks in this guy, and uh, got to know him. After that, I got to know him. Oh, and then he actually no. Then he's had a coffee. He goes, it's exactly the same. He goes, I'm getting the same buzz. Um, he goes, I feel like I'm overseas. I feel like I'm there. Um, so anyway, after that, I got to know him. We actually had mutual friends. Uh, and he, at the time, I'm not sure now, but at the time, he was the leading Twitterer right. in Adelaide and maybe in Australia. So he got our name out there really quickly. So not only did he validate what I'd done, he actually built my, helped me build my business with throwing... Because people listen to this guy. I don't think anybody listened to Twitter, to be honest. But um, at that stage, I've since learned it's a very uh, important tool. Um, yeah, so he helped me build. And he'd bring people there all the time. And I haven't seen him for about a year and a half now. And it actually saddens me because, uh, you know, I miss him. I miss that. Yeah. You know, I miss what he well, brought to the place. Well, plus it must just be continual validation that you're on the right path and on the right yeah. journey. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, you know, now every time a new customer comes in that's been on a holiday, they come in and say, oh, I feel like I'm in Europe. For me, that was my aim. I, I really wanted to, knowing that people travel, I really wanted people to come in and feel like they were away because I think, you know, you know, in this corporate world, you know, we're in that corporate sector there. Mm. The corporate world is just so... I see people that are so strained and under stress. You know, you see them walking on their phones, earphones in. You're a corporate of that. <laughs> um, just busy. Their heads are busy. And I think when they come into the bar, most times, if they're going to stay in the bar, they'll put their phone down. And they, I've seen people reject calls all the time. Because when they're there, they'll have their coffee, they want to chat, they don't want to, you know. Whereas at Marion, people never got off their phones. They'd actually sit down and be on their phones to talk. So it was, for me, it was actually really nice to know that in people's daily lives, I was able to um, supply a, an outlet mm. for people. And, you know, some people come in, you know, especially with a short black, you're in there for like literally three, four, five minutes. And for that five minutes, is just a little recharge. Um, not just because of the caffeine, but mentally, they could go out and you know get through the next hour and a half, two hours. Well, it's a, it's it's a great experience. Uh, you know, I've been yeah. there a lot. Yeah. It's a great experience, not just for the for the you know, the aesthetics of the place, which yeah. I think are fantastic, but the people you have working there, including yeah. yourself, that makes it. Yeah. And you said before that you know if you could nail the uh, the experience, the coffee wasn't as important well, yeah definitely the coffee's pretty important it's got it's got to be good and definitely. i think your coffee is the best in town i've oh, been you. to a lot of places yeah appreciate it it certainly is uh, so when you pull all those things together yeah and i'm sure you can probably get good coffees elf, elsewhere mm. but what's really hard to replicate when you're running a business and what's really hard for customers to to get elsewhere is that experience yeah i, I think people i think that's what's lacking in uh, I'm going to say Adelaide, but I think actually lacking in Australia is that, unfortunately, hospitality is not seen as a career path for a lot of people. Mm. Whereas you go to Europe and some people, they're, if they're a barista, that's it. That's their career for the rest of their lives. And they love it because over there, just to have a job is a blessing. Mm. Whereas in Adelaide, uh, sorry, in Australia, um, hospitality has always seen, been seen as a stepping stone. Unless you're the owner of the cafe, whereas obviously... Mm. It's more important to you, but um, and that's why I guess when we first started, uh, and you know, it wasn't my intention to hire Italians. I put out um, an ad on Gumtree and see what people could get. And all of all the interviews I did, I think the first lot of interviews I did before we opened it was like something like thirty people, and the only one that con I connected with was this Spanish girl that came in, uh, Angela. And we're still friends to this day. And she was just great. Her attitude towards the work, 
her personality, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell her right now. I said, I think, I think I'm going to take you on. And then she burst my bubble and she said that I can't get paid on the books. And I said, Angela, I can't do that. I said, I need, it needs to be all on, the, on paper. And you've you got to remember, don't judge her because you've got to remember in Spain and Italy, it's, just, it's, whole, it's a whole other economy. Yeah. And if without that, half of them wouldn't have jobs. And I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so upset that you can't work. She goes, oh, I said, how does it work? She goes, and this is sort of my first introduction to work visas. She said, look, I, Spain hasn't got an agreement with Australia, so we can't get a work visa at that time. I don't know about now. But my boyfriend, he's Italian and he can. And I said, I've got to meet this guy. If you're like this and you're his partner, surely he's got to be even if he's half as good as you. So I found myself at 11 o'clock at night down at the Pancake Kitchen just off of Harley Street on a Saturday night, mind you. So Harley Street, you know, it's not the best, the best of times. Uh, I met this guy, Lorenzo, and he had worked in London, so his English was great and his work ethic was seemed great and his personality... I think I fell in love more with him than with her. Um, so I took him on there and then. And you know what? I didn't realize, but we opened with him. And I was actually never meant to be front of house. I was meant to be at the back. Um, so I was at the back. He was on the till talking to customers. Customers loved him. I've got to say, especially the girls loved him. The older women, they loved Lorenzo from Milano. They had the accent. And he knew so much about poetry and art and nothing of what I knew. You know, I didn't know any about, anything about that. And Lawrence, my barista, he wasn't very talkative, so he just sat in the machine and did his job and he was great. And then I think I realised whilst watching him from the back that I thought, I think I've just added another element here without realising it. Yeah. Um, then two and a half months in, unfortunately, Angela got quite sick and she had to go back to Europe. Uh, and Lorenzo had to go as well. And I was devastated. I, I had really, really connected with this couple. They were just two of the best people I've ever met. And what happened was I took on, I was in a mad rush to get somebody. And I, um, so I got forced to go on the till. I, I had to be front of house, which I didn't want it to be because I didn't want it to be the case where if I wasn't there, people wouldn't come in. Um, so I got pushed to the till, the front bar. And I realized I loved, I loved talking. I loved talking to my new clientele. And you're good at it. Yeah, well, I think too good. Sometimes I don't shut up. But, <laughs> but the, I, I think I connected with people, the corporate demographic here in town, more than I did at Marin. Marin, it sort of felt like a bit of a grind sometimes because I didn't have a connection. Mm. I, didn't, I had nothing to talk to them about. Whereas with the corporates, uh, corporate's the wrong word. I, I don't like using that word. I think... People that worked in the city, I think just because you're in the city, you get exposed to so many different businesses and products and stuff. So they are actually a bit more open-minded when it comes to, you know, trying new stuff. And, and I just found that I connected well with them. And then I needed somebody, so I actually ended up hiring Lorenzo's friend, Matteo. And me and Matteo formed this bond, like you wouldn't believe. And that rubbed off. Uh, on our customers because that in the bar it's actually funny because at the old shop at Marion when customers were at the bench I'd tell my staff no talking get to work that was and I think that's a common thing with most businesses whereas here at Caparezza when people come in we don't stop talking we continue and we drag them into our convos so all of a sudden these people come in for a coffee next thing they're you know, they've been dragged into a 10-minute conversation about, you know, the football or the soccer or how we hated that referee or, you know, 10 minutes later, people are going, I've got to go to work. <laughs> I've been here too long. So it actually became our thing. It, was a, it almost became like a bit of a show. Mm. I, I, I still feel like we're putting on a show, but um, without, you know, not intentionally. I think we just like talking so much about our stuff. Mm. People get dragged into it. Um, it certainly does. It's quite unique. It certainly does add to the experience. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think people love it because, you know, and then, you know, working with our, other Italians, you get angry at each other. You don't hold back, you know. I was born here, but I've very much got that Italian blood and I arced up at them and they arced up at me and I'm the boss, mind you. They're still arcing up at me. But I didn't, I've never looked at myself as the boss. So people would see us arguing about stuff and it, they quickly learned that, man, this, is, this thing's a real deal. This, these guys are Italian and this is the Italian experience because we don't behave like this at home. <laughs> no other business behaves like this. Uh, it just works and people started, I don't know, I think, I don't know, it became a show. Um, but it was just comfortable. But now it's just become the culture of that place. Um, so every employee that I've had since, uh, I don't think I've ever advertised again. It's always been through the person that's working there. So I've had, you know, time after time, people coming in, Italian background, Australian background, whatever. Um, but it's always worked because I think, well, actually, most of the people that end up working there have been customers for a while. So I think they get the culture. Uh, at the moment, I've got Jason working with me, and we've been friends for five years. He was a driver for Coopers. He came in that often that now he works with us. But he, um, I'm really, I think I'm really enjoying my time with him working there now because I think what I didn't realise with the Italians and the people from overseas is that over there, if you've got a job, one job, you do that job. If you're a barista, you're a barista. That's it. You don't clean. You don't, I mean, you clean, but you don't go serve tables. And Whereas with Jason, he's got more my mentality that in Australia, we work in the way that if something's got to be done, you just do it. Get on with it. I didn't realise how much of the work I was doing myself with the other guys. Mm. And I was quite happy too, but, you know, six years in, mm. it's nice to have a bit of a break. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's right now. Yeah. What a great story. Yeah, and that's not even touching on the coffee carts. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. But, um, you know, building that brand, you know, if Marion didn't happen, Caparetta wouldn't happen. Mm. Yeah. And I, I well, feel I so you, connected to I know to you it. look back and say... If you had a time over again, you wouldn't go through it. Yeah. There's plenty of people are glad that you did go through it because Caparazzi is a fantastic yeah. business that brings a lot of joy to oh, people's daily it. lives. So I well love done. hearing that. That's good. Mate, thanks for sharing your story. I no, really my pleasure. Appreciate it. So how do our listeners find you? Uh, Location-wise, we are at 36 James Place, just off Grenfell Street. In the city? In the city. Um, and we've... You know, websites, Facebook, Instagram, just type in Caparezzo Espresso Bar and it'll come up. Um, or look for us at an event or wedding wherever you see a three-wheeler bike with a coffee machine strapped onto it. And so people can book the book you in yep. to do their wedding venue, yep. corporate event. Definitely. Yeah, they so can find the details for that on your website uh, It's all on the website. Our packages are all on there. They can email us directly if they need to know any sort of questions. I'm not the quickest at getting back to people on email. I really suck at it. Um, actually, saying that, I might remember I haven't replied to one from two days ago. So, uh, but yeah, email's the best. That's how I keep track of things because phone right. calls, uh, you know, they don't exist for me. I don't even answer. So, Good yeah. Stuff. Thanks. All right, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Well, what a cracker interview that was. Business sure can get pretty tough sometimes. And I really do thank Phil for sharing his experiences with you. If you find things are getting tough for you, I know it's going to be tempting to try and push through, especially when you're a time-poor business owner. But I really encourage you to reach out and get help. What I love most about talking to Phil was how he had a really clear vision of what his business was going to be and how he stayed true to this and brought it to life and how his customers love it. Don't forget to subscribe to The Self-Made Theory on your favourite podcast app, whether it be Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts or Podbean. You'll find us pretty much everywhere. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for The Self-Made Theory and our website is theselfmadetheory.com. I hope you enjoyed that episode and don't forget, until next time, to keep innovating, overcoming and prospering. <laughs>